Check one, two. Check, check. All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you want to take a seat. It's great to, uh, great to be with you this morning. If those of you in the back want to come up, there's definitely some seats open now that the kids are gone. We always open up a few more rows after those kiddos leave, but um, yeah, my name is Dan Boss, and uh, I'm one of the leaders here, one of the pastors, and uh, I am just really excited to, to open God's Word with you this morning, and I just want to exhort you as the church, the body of Christ, to continue the mission and continue what we're doing here at King's Cross. It's been awesome to see just like new community groups happening, life explorers happening, just to hear the the life in our body here at King's Cross. And I just want to encourage you and just say, let's keep on keeping on doing what we're doing. It's good. God's at work. And uh, people are encountering Jesus um, in this local body. And uh, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm encouraged to see it um, in five years, just to see the growth that's been happening. But um, so we've been in the book of Hebrews for the last couple months, and um, it has been an awesome journey just to see, like, how does God's word speak to us in, you know, in our local time, and how does it speak to the, the Jewish Christians back um, in the first century? And uh, I just want to take a moment and kind of zoom back and take stock of, like, where we've been um, in the book of Hebrews. Um, chapter 1, remember, it was talking about, like, Christ is on the throne. He is sustaining all things by his word. It says in uh, Hebrews 1 verse 3, the sun is the radiance of the uh, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We saw that Jesus is superior to angels and he's superior to heroes of the faith like Moses, and he became human and experience everything we experience in order to be the perfect sacrifice for us. One of the coolest things that I think Hebrews is telling us and showing us is how, that, how, how we encounter Scripture. Like, how do we read Scripture? How do we read the Old Testament? Um, because that's, what, that's what's really been done in the last two um, chapters. So we're in, in chapter 4 this week, but last week in chapter 3, it just took a, a chunk of Psalm 95 and like, how does this apply to our lives? How does it apply to the Jewish Christians in the first century? Um, last week in chapter 3, Obed um, drew out the, the idea that it's easy for us to harden our hearts and become callous to God's word, um, to set our wills against the will of God. We saw the example of that in Psalm 95, um, where the Israelites hardened their heart against God in the wilderness and the refusal to believe what God would give them in the promised land. Uh, we looked at how we can avoid this by examining our own hearts and being honest with ourselves and with God and ask God to soften our hearts. So today we're going to look at chapter 4 and this idea of God's rest. Like what is this rest, this Sabbath rest that is described and offered to us um, by God in this, uh, in this chapter? So I want to pose a question to you guys this morning, um, and just imagine in your minds here, what do you think of when somebody says, I'm gonna, I want to offer you the perfect rest, time for rest in your, in your life? 
I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe a vacation, time off work, sleeping in on a Saturday morning, or a hammock and a good book, watching a movie with friends. But we all have a picture. We all long for rest in our lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced um, like having something that you've been looking forward to, like a, a vacation that got disrupted by plans, you know, changing or parents... Parents say, yeah, we, we've, we've seen that before with every night we have to wake up and our rest is interrupted by our children. But several years ago, I had a, uh, we had a vacation that we do every, every summer. We go on this trip. And I remember just things happened with the weather going bad and kids got sick and it was just like this turmoil. And I found myself getting really frustrated with this, this vac- vacation that I had been looking forward to um, wasn't as restful as I had hoped it was. And, um, and I realized, you know, in my mind, I had built this trip, this one week of year, built this up to being so much more than it could handle. Like, this needed to be everything for me for my whole year of rest. Um, I tried to make that vacation everything. And this morning, uh, I want to look at what God is offering and how it relates to what we strive for in this life in rest. Um, So I want to invite you, as is our custom, to stand as we read God's Word together. Um, We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 13. This is God's Word for us today. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let me pray as we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for... Um, for this passage, this word for us today, and for the book of Hebrews, Lord, and what it teaches us about 
who you are and how you would have us live. And God, we thank you for the rest that is offered here that you describe in this passage and your desire for us to be restored and refreshed not only on a, on a weekly rhythmic basis in our lives here, but, but our ultimate rest with you in heaven for eternity. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to you today. Um, we want to hear from you. We offer you this time in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So I want to look at this passage kind of in light of what we had last year in chapter 3, because I think it's kind of a continuation of, of what, we, what we encountered last week in chapter 3. The author of the Hebrews of the letter is continuing to exhort the Jewish Christians not to harden their hearts and turn away from Christ. He gives a similar warning that we heard last week against a hardening and unbelieving heart. And he continues this warning right into chapter 4, and he shifts the focus toward entering this rest that God is offering. We'll notice that chapter 4 starts with the word, therefore, and it's a continuation of the preceding thought from chapter 3, warning us that because Israel didn't enter God's rest, we should fear lest we also follow their same failure. So this morning, I want to focus on the rest God is offering, and I want us to ask three different questions um, about this passage kind of as we, as we go through it today. The first is, what is the rest that God is offering? What keeps us from this rest? And how do we fight to enter the rest that God offers? So back to my question at the beginning, what do you think of when you think of rest in your own life? I think for lots of us, it involves sleep, um, some form or another. Article in, uh, that I found in Forbes magazine that the average American gets just more than six hours of sleep a night, and 40% of us are getting less than that. Amazingly, in 1910, this is crazy, in 1910, the average sleep everybody got at night was nine hours. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, for adults, uh, the National Sleep Foundation recommends that we get seven to nine hours of un uninterrupted sleep every night. I don't know if that's happening in your life, but I don't think it is in mine. We are a tired people. We're overworked, overcommitted, and overstimulated, and deficient in our ability to find rest, in our ability to unplug, to turn off our devices. I know this from my own experience. I know the discipline of turning off your phone and getting to sleep on time, not watching Netflix. When Netflix ends one episode, it goes right into the next one without even stopping. You have no choice but to watch it, right? Um, there's always something more we can do. There's always another episode to watch, another chapter to read. There's an endless supply of things we can occupy ourselves with, and they're not all bad things. But many of them are just not helpful in finding the true rest and true fulfillment that God wants for us. Um, we're yearning for physical rest, yes, but even more so, a spiritual rest, I think. When we hear the words of Jesus saying, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we hear those words, how does that not resonate with you? Jesus knows our human condition. He lived it, and he breathed it, and he knows how badly we need rest. Every human longs for that kind of rest, a deep rest for our souls. So I want to look at the first question I want to ask is, what is the rest that God is offering? Let's look at how it's described in this passage. And actually, I think what, what the author of Hebrew does, Hebrews does is, is he kind of faces a few of the misunderstandings we might have about the nature of God's rest in this passage. He gives us, and the, the Jewish Christians who first read this book, um, a few different misconceptions that we might be tempted to believe. But he's pressing into the idea right from verse 1 that the promise of entering his rest still stands. This is still something available to us. He does this first um, by making a couple arguments. For the first argument he makes for this rest still being available is through creation. We'll notice this in verses 3 through 5. He says, His works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. What he's really doing here is drawing out the fact that God rested on the seventh day from his work in creation. But that doesn't mean that this rest is done for. But it's continuing. God is still resting and he's offering us, um, he's offering us that rest too. And when we see in Psalm 95 that God spoke through David in verse 3 saying, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We might be tempted to say, well, that must not apply to me because God made all creation, then he rested. And that's that. It's no longer happening anymore. That happened already. The author of Hebrews is arguing that God's rest in this passage is continual and ongoing. And that we need to enter it by faith and belief in God's promises. He fleshes this out in verse 6. It says, Therefore, it remains for some to enter uh, it remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them that uh, in to them did not go in because of their disobedience. It's not that God's rest is finished because he rested on the seventh day of creation and therefore we can't enter it because it already happened. It's because of disobedience and unbelief that we don't enter into God's rest. That is the distinguishing factor between those who enter God's rest and those who don't, is disobedience coming from what we talked about last week, a hardness in our own hearts. The author of Hebrews continues on in the same argument, saying that God's Sabbath rest is still an open invitation to us who believe. In verse 7, he says, He appointed a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's, he's saying that this still applies for us today. And he makes it clear, if David is writing this, well after the story of creation and well after the Jews enter the promised land, and he still says today, it therefore must still apply to the Christians who first he heard Hebrews and to us in our current time. 
So that's one argument from creation. The next argument I want to look at is uh, from Joshua leading the, the Israelites into the promised land. It's an important thing to realize, like when the, the Hebrews first heard this book, um, this sermon or this letter or whatever it is, um, they were living most likely in the land of Canaan. They were the ancestors of those who entered the, the, land, the promised land that God had led them to. And the author of Hebrews is addressing how they may be tempted to believe that they have been given the promise already because they live in the promised land. They've been given the rest of God because they are in the promised land. But the point he's making is that entering into that promised land was not an exhaustive thing for God's promised rest. The author addresses this specifically in verses 8 and 9. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would uh, not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Joshua led the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised, and yet the author of Hebrews is referencing God speaking through David in Psalm 95 many, many years later, saying, they shall not enter my rest, verse 3. He's saying the rest that God is talking about here does not just reference the Israelites entering the promised land. It'd be tempting for the Jews at this time to, to read Psalm 95 and say, and read that, you shall not enter my rest, and think that's because some of their ancestors didn't enter the land um, that God had promised them. Many of their ancestors had died before entering the promised land, but they were the ones that had made it. They were living in the land that God promised, and God had given them rest. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, it's still something that is needing to be entered into. The land of Canaan and the temple they worshipped worshipped at were all symbolic toward the ultimate fulfillment in Christ in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus alluded to this in his own life. He said to the Pharisees, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. In John 2.19. The physical temple in Jerusalem was temporary and Jesus' sacrifice is eternal. Interestingly, the, the reference here in Hebrews to Joshua and, and the word Joshua and Jesus are actually the same word, just in different languages. The Greek form of this word is Jesus, and the Hebrew form is Joshua. Both forms mean the same thing. The Lord is, the Lord is salvation. So what we can infer here is essentially the author of Hebrews saying, you knew one Joshua who led you into the promised land, but there's a second Joshua who leads you into a greater promised land, a promised rest in an eternal kingdom. So all of these arguments that he's making are kind of like, this is not what God's rest is. It's not just, you know, happened in creation and it's over. It's not just the promised land. But I want to look at what is he, what is he arguing that it is? So what is it? I think we get a, a clear picture when you look at verse 9 and 10. It says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The rest that he, the author is referencing here is based on the Sabbath rest ordained by God in the story of creation. 
and given to the Israelites in the law. God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh day, and he gave the Israelites the command to do the same, to work for six days and rest on the seventh day and to keep it holy. And what this was all about, really, is cultivating a relationship with God, like setting a rhythm in your life to encounter God. When we read, the, uh, when we read about the Sabbath rest here, it's not necessarily talking about a weekly command that God gave the Israelites in the law, but it's talking about an eternal rest with our fellowship with God in heaven through Christ. The rest the author seems to be pointing us toward and exhorting us to fight for is the rest of giving up and striving for our own salvation through our own works. Striving for right relationship with God through our own labor. And uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 refers to the same idea. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, been, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We are made right with God through Christ. And we can live our lives on earth in right relationship to God. And we have the promise of living eternally in right relationship with God in heaven. That is the rest that we read about here. And I love that um, in verse 9, how it's laid out. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. If we enter God's rest, then we, we end the work of striving to do it on our own. This is a good word for our weary souls. We have the promise of a completely restoring and refreshing rest with God. And it's, and it's something that God has made a way for us to attain, for us to enter. All right, so I want to look at the second question. The second question I want to offer is, what keeps us from entering this rest? I think this whole section of Scripture in, in chapter 4 is kind of bookended by a couple different thoughts ab about what keeps us from entering that rest. <clears throat> it's the same warnings that we heard last week about disobedience and a lack of faith. In the beginning, in verse 2, it says, For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who, who have believed enter that rest. And then down at the bottom, at, at the end, in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's disobedience. Um, you know, and he's referencing the rebellion that the Israelites made against God, many of them not entering the promised land. And I don't think he's talking only about obedience here not only obedience to following God's command, surely that was a part of it, but I think the, the disobedience was at its core like a hardness of their hearts and a grumbling that led to a lack of faith in God. We need to remember that the Israelites, um, that this was an entire generation who had heard and seen God's goodness. God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and they saw God's mighty hand in the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, they drank water from the rock. 
and ate manna. God led them through the desert, and they still grumbled and disobeyed. They didn't believe the promises of God. They, they cried out in the, desert, in the desert, Surely our life was better as slaves in Egypt. This was an entire generation that didn't enter the promised land. And I believe that's a picture of the warning that we face in our passage today. Our grumbling, our distrust in God's promises, and lack of perseverance in our faith is what keeps us from entering God's rest. If we let apathy and bitterness rule in us, we will miss what God is offering us. Verse 10 also gives us another clue about what keeps us from entering God's rest. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. The work of striving to enter God's rest through our own actions and be good enough on our own will never satisfy, will never be sufficient. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We enter God's rest through obedience and faith, not through striving and work. Our genuine persevering faith in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for us is what allows us to enter God's rest. So, so a little summary there. We can see that God's rest is still offered to us, it's not tied up in a historical event or entering the promised land. And that we can see now, God's rest is not about us getting ourselves good enough or working hard enough, being good enough, but it's through faith in Christ. Let's say, uh, um, the, the third question I want to look at here um, is how do we fight now that we know what God's rest is what keeps us from entering? What are we going to do in our lives? How can we set ourselves up to enter God's rest? So how does this happen physically for you? Um, when you want rest, when you want sleep, what do you need to do to get that? Well, we need to say no to some things. We need to put down the phone, the remote, and the book, whatever it is we're doing, and we need to say yes to other things. I don't know if you've ever noticed how much better you sleep when you're active during the day, when you exercise, when you have a physically strenuous day, you'll rest well at night. And on the flip side, if we don't do anything all day long, it's harder to fall asleep at night. If we take naps all day, it's going to be a tough thing to fall asleep at night. Those of you with kids and, and dogs probably know how this works. Get them out and run them around and then they'll sleep really good at night. The more active you are during the day, the better rest you will have at night. And looking at this kind of from a physical or a spiritual perspective, it's not that our lives needs to be filled with constant working and striving, but we need a faith that is active on a daily basis. A lack of activity and perseverance in our faith will eventually lead us to a place where we don't enter God's rest, both in our our earthly life and eternal life and eternally with God. So if we look back on our test, our text, um, I think the exhortation in verses 1 and 2 gets right to the heart of what we need to do to fight to enter this rest. It says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them. 
But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So that word fear, I want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's hard for us to understand what does it mean for us to, to fear. We don't want to live lives of fear of missing our salvation. I don't want to downplay the gravity of that word also, but I just want us to understand exactly what we, what we need to fear. I think John Piper um, gives us some clarity here. He says, Christ died to deliver us from slavish fear. Christ wants a fearless people. Christ wants a people who live in the most dangerous neighborhoods without fear, who go to the unreached peoples behind closed doors without fear, who speak to neighbors about Christ without fear. How? By faith in his promises. Faith in the promises of God makes you fearless before the threats of men. So there is only one thing to fear, faithlessness. Fear unbelief in the promises of God, because as long as you are trusting in the promises of God, you can be utterly fearless in the face of anything, even death. So we need a fear of unbelief of God's promises, and we need to be fearless in everything else. The last part of verse 2, I think, is sometimes a little hard to understand. Because It says, in the ESV, it says, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. But I think the NIV might, might state it a little bit more clearly. It says, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. We need to hear the good news and have faith to believe it, to believe and understand the gospel. That is through Christ's sacrifice that we are justified and made right with God. What the author of Hebrews is saying in this passage to the Jewish listeners is, don't settle for thinking that the promised land is the complete rest when heaven awaits you. Don't settle for earthly satisfaction when heavenly rest awaits. And for us to build your life on the greater rest rather than the temporary and shallow rest that we find in this life. Recently, I was reading um, the Gospel of Mark. Jesus talks about the, the parable of the sower and the seed. And I think it directly speaks to this. After he, he tells the audience the parable, and he, ex, he goes on later to explain it to his disciples, he says, um, Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they do not have, they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. We need to tend to the soil in our hearts in order to cultivate our faith and obedience and ultimately enter the rest that God is offering us. Uh, Pastor David Guzik puts it this way. He says, God does not force this rest upon us. We must enter that rest. Clearly, the rest is entered by faith, but it takes diligent faith. This shows us that faith is not passive. It takes diligence to trust in, rely on, and cling to Jesus and his works for us. This doesn't just happen to us. We don't just wake up one day and say, oh, wow, my, my faith has magically just been built up. I believe. 
Faith is a gift, yes, that God gives us, but the avenue that he gives it through is our exercising of it and diligent seeking of him. Uh, I love how um, one author put it. He says, faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. Yet the paradox is that we must exercise it and bear the responsibility if we do not. God supplies the breath. We just need to be diligent to breathe it in. And speaking of an active and diligent faith, and a a faith in what Christ has done, rather than ourselves, um, I think this this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was written uh, by Martin Luther. It was written like in the 1500s. It's crazy. The second verse is amazing. It says, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, Jesus. Striving in our own strength to attain what only God can give us would be losing. But we need an active faith, not a passive one. So we need to strive to stop striving. So I want to jump down to the last section and see how it ties into this this greater theme of rest. Verses 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It seems as though all of a sudden the whole focus of this passage shifts in verse 12 and 13, like, the author was talking about obedience and faith, and now all of a sudden he's talking about God's word, and it's like, what is going on here? But I think what is happening here is that he pulls back the lens. Like, we had just been talking in chapter 3 into chapter 4, reading God's word, God's word in Psalm 95, how it applies to the Israelites and to the, the Jewish Christians hearing the book of Hebrews for the first time, and now to us. The author is pointing out the relevance of God's word to cut to the core of our lives. How it applies to the Jews for which the the book of Hebrews was written and now how it applies to us. I don't think the obedience and the the, the theme of obedience and faith, I don't think that's unrelated to, to what he says about God's word here. We grow in faith and obedience by exposing ourselves to God's perfect word, by studying it opening ourselves up to the, to the living and active word and building our lives upon it, doing those things will inevitably grow our obedience and faith. It says in verse 13, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This can be our, either be our greatest comfort, understanding that God intimately knows us, And by the blood of Jesus, we are made right before God. The word made flesh is our comfort. And it can also be our greatest fear, that we will stand before the judgment and give an account for our lives, that every word, every thought, and every action will be laid bare before God. But I hope it's an encouragement to you to really understand what is at stake here. God offers us true and satisfying rest in himself. But we need to cultivate an active 
and obedient faith to treasure Christ above all. This world offers us some, some rest, some satisfying moments of respite, some vacations that are good things. But we need to understand those things are all a shadow of the real soul-satisfying rest that Jesus offers us. It's a rest from our striving to measure up on our own. So if you're tired and weary this morning, I want to invite you to come to Jesus because he offers a real rest that we are longing for. As we reference Psalm 95 in the last two chapters here, I want to leave us with this thought. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that today still applies for us today. If you feel God calling you, tugging on your heart, find somebody afterwards to pray with. Reach out to us. We'd love to pray with you. Um, as we close, let me, let me pray for us, and we're going to continue in, in worship, um, seeking God, seeking His rest for us, striving to strive no more on our own. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that shows us that you have a better Sabbath rest for our souls that will completely and restore our worn-out souls. God, I pray that we would strive for this, that we would strive to stop striving for letter, uh, lesser rests and comforts, and we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And I pray that uh, you would give us a hunger for your word, that we would have an active faith pressing into your word on a daily basis, yearning for it. Give us a hunger, Lord. God, I thank you for the time that we have today to encounter your word, to worship you, and I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Illuminate what we need to see, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.